Namaste, friends. You are listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of social impact leaders and innovators across diverse sectors in India. This podcast is brought to you by Cause Artist, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, social entrepreneur and director of Hotter World. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. Each episode, we're exploring the challenges, successes, and opportunities within social innovation in India and helping you become a more conscious consumer in the process. So without further ado, let's jump into our episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Impact India. You can tell I'm recording this season close to the holiday season because I am finally getting to dive into all my favorite fashion brands in North India that I will 100% be putting on my family's Christmas list. So today I am thrilled to be interviewing Bavia Gonka, founder of Iro Iro. Iro Iro is a zero waste lifestyle and fashion brand that works with hand weavers in the Jaipur Rajasthan area. They weave recycled uh, textiles to create beautiful modern handmade um, fashion products, closing the loop on textile waste in the fashion industry. They have been featured in many publications and nominated for awards, such as the Luckmay Fashion Week's uh, Lexus Design Award. I met Bavia briefly in our, at Luckmay Fashion Week earlier this year in February in Mumbai, after the brand completely slayed the stage at the Circular Design Challenge, an initiative by Luckmay Fashion Week to financially support and market homegrown sustainable fashion brands. Ido Ido currently employs 25 craftsmen and so far has upcycled five tons of textile waste and saved the world 100 tons of CO2 emissions from entering the, the atmosphere. With their newest collection, Moonwash, they aim to reuse 15 tons of textile waste. Bavio, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. How are you feeling today? Thank you so much, Jasmine, first of all, for inviting me for this talk, because, um, of course, like, apart from our initial meet, um, I did, like, uh, search the internet about you, and then came across your podcast, and, like, I've been listening to it, and um, it's great to be on it, <laughs> honestly. I'm glad you feel that way. It would be awful if you came on here and were like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Well, it is seriously, the pleasure is all mine. And I absolutely love, love, love your startup story. I mean, a big part of, you know, my purpose and my mission, especially through Hotter World, is empowering youth to start inspiring projects. Um, so can you share with our audience how Ido Ido came to be while you were studying? Yeah. Um, so uh, in the fourth year of my design school, uh, I was at IICD, Indian Institute of Crafts and Design, um, where like I was specializing in textiles. And in the fourth year, um, seventh semester, we have this uh, module focused on systems and studying um, what are the problems that are occurring in various systems. So uh, I took up the system of uh, manufacturing garments. And um, at that point, like we were just to map out the problems that are uh, within that particular system. So one of the problems that was, that I saw was waste. And when I researched, now this is one isolated system I was studying, but when I researched further, I mean, you don't have to look far to know that how big a problem textile waste really is today. And seeing that like India is, produ is one of the major producers, we would be facing it firsthand. 
So um, there was also a sense of responsibility to do something about it. But yes, it came out within that project that um, maybe uh, if, if the waste is produ being produced at the quantity as it was, so maybe we could upcycle it and turn it into something that is more, uh, reclaim it and turn it into something that is more desirable, has a sense of story uh, and something that people can connect with. Now, because I was coming from a craft um, institute, it was also important in a way to, um, we were always sort of uh, sensitized to like what's happening in the crafts area of the industry. It's the second biggest employer after agriculture. So like we need to carry the baton on, but also in a way that it makes sense for the future. So for me, um, like making crafts a vehicle to drive upcycling sort of became a way to have a sense of relevance for the handicrafts and also to build a unique enough value proposition within those said crafts and also to see them with the lens of quality and design. Ugh. It's so amazing. And I'm, I'm so curious, you know, what have you observed um, about the crafts industry in terms of a decrease in craftsmanship, specifically in Jaipur? Um, so there are, uh, like in any sort of, in any sort of social um, setting, there are very conflicting views about craft. Mm. On one hand, there'd be uh, people who would probably be like, why are crafts even relevant today? Um, I mean, when the industrialization has taken over so much of uh, like the market share, but um, I would say, um, but there'd be like a very traditionalist point of view as well coming in that, oh, like um, crafts are traditional, crafts uh, talk about our culture. But for me, um, crafts are important because they enable uh, creativity and innovation. Mm -hmm. um, indigenous knowledge also tell, tells us how to like live in a way that is not harmful for the planet. Um, so there are two purposes for me uh, for the for craft industries. That first, um, you get to uh, come in, work with your hand, and you, and by that time you are thinking about like how can you make things better, how can you make things more functional, and the design process itself becomes. Um, a bit more elevated and the second is to um yes uh, you get to work in a way that is not harming the environment which is very necessary uh, today uh, because we are facing a climate crisis mm -hmm. and we need to find our ways uh, to combat that 100 percent, and um Another golden nugget that you actually said in there was talking about like connecting to your clothing and having this connection yes. to the people and what's what the pr process behind everything. And, you know, in speaking of connection, I I'm curious, you know, how did you end up actually connecting with these these craftsmen and artisans that you're working with in Jaipur? Right. So um, this everything started at ISED. So uh, we have like a weaving lab there uh, and the assistant for the weaving lab, he uh, comes from this village where I'm currently working with. The artisans are based out of. And now he had to look for an alternative, like his, um, all of his previous generation were like master artisans of weaving, but he had to look for an alternative job um, because weaving wasn't 
making enough money for them they were weaving khadi and basically it was being the should i get into the per meter cost of it oh 100% tell us everything so, um so basically um they were getting paid like this was they were doing this work for the government and they were getting paid 17 rupees a meter and you can only weave like if you're doing pure khadi you can only weave like 5 meters of it so multiply 17 by 5 and you don't even have a minimum wage yeah and that is and and then um you know there are various ways of like it'll, they'd be exploited right uh, because their payments come in late um they wouldn't uh, like there'd be a lot of uh, bargaining happening and what not so right basically yeah so these are people who had to and so this is also like weaving khadi in a way is not a, a very romanticized craft i would say because what happens is um, when we look like at textile crafts uh, we look at jamdani we look at hand block printing we look at banaras uh, banarasi um, silks um, because they have a very romanticized story behind them and you know a designer could tell those stories so no designer also sort of engaged here because this was just pure weaving like there isn't any sort of value addition happening to the textile so with time the weavers started to look for alternative jobs um started to work uh, like fortunately for me uh, um this person um who It, like taught me weaving uh came to iicd to work as a weave uh, like a assistant at the weaving lab but like most of them went into construction labor or something like that so yeah that's how i got in touch with them it's so beautiful to hear that students are being offered so much opportunity and you know being introduced to communities that can help them in their journeys after school so that they can start incredible projects like this so that's really really beautiful to hear and um another thing with the storytelling aspect is i absolutely love your brand images and the way that you guys really um style everything because there's this there is a storytelling aspect to it and there's also yeah. like um with the recent images you guys have especially on instagram i connected yeah. them so much because it shows like those streets of jaipur that just have so much story and history and and inspiration behind them and then having yeah. these beautiful pieces made from you know um recycled materials and like displayed in front of them it, it just looks like a complete art masterpiece and <laughs> absolutely you're amazing i love it and i'm i'm curious like you know you're definitely leading with style and creation which i think is so important when we're you know when anyone's working in in uh, sustainable fashion because you know we can't always just lead with the why we also have to lead mm. with style and and design and creation yeah. and i'm curious because you are also competing in a mainstream market you know what have been some of the biggest challenges around that mm, first of all it was so uh, i must add to the story that like um, as part of iscd we get to be part of um, a course called crafting luxury and lifestyle businesses which is offered by iim amdabad so there basically i got exposed to how you can build a business around in a creative idea which does not necessarily have a blueprint 
behind it but uh, apart from that uh, for me the biggest challenge was uh, finding the right like what is the product market fit uh, market acceptability because there are notions about things made from waste or um, if this is like if if i am trying to like be unique with in my styling or in my creations then this is something that is new to the audience and something that is new to the audience is not going to be accepted in the first go or the second go or in the third go mm-hmm. it would like it would trickle down eventually but it wouldn't they wouldn't like generally put, people wouldn't embrace it uh, but of course like i have a i know who my audience is in that case and i know who like embraced it in the first go or who embraced it in the second go but for me it is also important to sort of reach out to the people who do not understand that like why we need to upcycle because for me it is a tool of mass education um and because this is the way uh, this is the only way i know how to message the climate crisis that we are facing right now yeah 100% that's really powerful and and i mean do you i personally on a personal level like do you feel heavy in this process like it's a it is a lot to take on like having this passion for something so beautiful and wanting to bring in you know more of a sustainable angle and then you know having to constantly drill into people's mindsets why it's so important <laughs> and you know how does that make you feel in like on a personal level um so uh, i mean it's it's up and down but uh, mostly like i enjoy the process of designing something that is very uh, different because for me what's what's like i enjoy what what i enjoy about it is is the rebellious nature of what i'm doing uh, honestly if it weren't uh, this rebellious in nature i wouldn't be doing it <laughs> <laughs> because because like i like that uh, like i like uh, i like so when i started it um uh, like this professor of mine she was like you you can't do this what are what are you saying like you can't make clothing from waste um or you can't make uh, jackets from um, from like this thicker textile or there'd be like or you can't make a zero waste pattern when in case like zero waste patterns are intrinsically indian mm. um so she was like make uh, diaries make a uh, home interior items but i was like i i clothing is our chosen skin so like that is where like the communication is happening so it was very important for me to make try and make clothing from it um so i was stubborn about it and i think that is like if it if it if it weren't a form of activism to me then i wouldn't be doing it i like that i like to hear that and you know there's oh i totally relate sorry just tangent for a second like 100% like rebelling against the status quo is so yeah. thrilling and it feels good because it's like you know we're the generation that needs to actually stand up and do something about all of this and if we don't incorporate it into our business models so that we can you know sustain our lives and eat the things that we want to do it seems a little bit you know a little bit too far to reach for us to grasp so yeah. i definitely connect to that and you know I, on the topic of like waste you know there is so much stigma around waste mm. and waste management in india i mean even here at hada house like we have such a hard time 
honestly, specifically getting uh, domestic travelers to even think about sorting their waste. Um, like mm-hmm. nobody wants to touch it. They don't want to think about it. It's totally yeah. like out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Do you find that there's, you know, any kind of stigma around you marketing that the clothing is made from trash? And like, what have been some of the initial reactions to that? Okay, so uh, there, um, I come from a background of manufacturing. My parents, 10 years ago, they started a manufacturing unit to ex- like uh, for the purpose of export. Um, so even to begin um, upcycling or like collecting waste, my father was like, why are you doing this? Um, you don't need to do this. Um, like uh, he'd be like you have a like basically there's this term kabadi wala right for the people um, who take trash right so he was like you basically basically become a kabadi wala like, yeah so but um uh it was more about like if uh then if he could understand this point then that meant that i could make this point like make this point uh, come across to other people as well um because uh so i one day i sat him down i made him watch the true cost and he was like okay what you're doing it has some value but make something from it like all right so um then um this other time i met a customer um they they were basically i was talking about my concept and uh what we want to do is collaborate more use people's waste and all of that and they were really happy with it um but what happens is that there is a stigma around it in in our country in india there's a larger stigma around it um in a country like uh, in a country like japan or in a in a, i don't know about america as much but in uk there is less of a stigma and um I feel that's because like a lot of our trends come from there. So we don't like, we aren't talking about, we, we are still hung up on using, use and throw, use and throw, use and throw, because like we need to have, uh, we have a particular budget, we have a particular, um, we have to get to the office and we have to look fresh every day and we shopping therapies become a thing. So every like everything is driven by uh, consumerism in the market but somewhere we need to realize that what we do where is is um like speaking more about us than anything else because what we cannot communicate with our given bodies we choose to communicate with the clothing that we wear so yes there there is a stigma but i feel that if we get to the right communication we might be able to work around or be- break through that stigma mm, that's super deep yeah I'm, I'm how exactly are you know what kind of language are you using or education are you providing to like mainstream consumers to kind of right. help them in this journey so uh, right now even though we are just focused on b2b uh, like we do b2c and um, as you said with moonwash my whole idea was that to not market it as something that's made from waste but something that would like uh, be appreciated by a person coming from a similar sense of aesthetics mm-hmm. um so uh, the whole idea was to like it, 
you don't need to purchase it because it's made from waste like connect with the product um start asking that why does it look the way it looks who has made it and why um have they made it like this um if if you're able to get there if if my my whole reason is that i should be able to evoke curiosity so if i'm able to evoke curiosity that will only happen by a certain connection through story and that story cannot be the story of upcycling just upcycling it has to be more like for moonwash it was a celebration of womanhood challenging gender roles and um, so yeah it needs to be it cannot just be that uh, listen this is made from trash right. it needs to be more 100% yeah so i guess going let's take a step back so we can kind of let all of our listeners know a little bit dive into a little bit more of what's happening behind the scenes at you know you know um what does the process look like to hand weave you know recycled textiles and i guess what do you kind of take part in that process or you know what is your role yeah, in in working with the weavers so uh, what we do is uh, we uh, of course like i started with collecting waste from our manufacturing unit but in one year we are able to uh, make it completely circular so that has been really gratifying but what we do is we collect the waste um and then we take it to the village where like i've organized a uh, self help group for women who who are not artisans so they don't have any way of uh, generating any sort of income uh, and they are living in the village um so there's a self help group for them and um they help us sort out this waste and now um the area that we have uh, dedicated to this self help group no man is allowed so they feel very safe coming in there and only their children would be allowed um so uh, then it becomes a community activity for them um they like talk to each other about their day they talk to each other about their children so that's like starting out i didn't realize that that could happen like it could become a community activity that like helps them bond or gives them time away from home for themselves but that happened so i was like just seeing them it's, it's always a, a, a like a happy experience and so they helped me sort it out sort the waste out in terms of color in terms of the weight of the textile in terms of um, patterns if if it has any prints on it it's all just waste right so it's it's all just off cuts that is coming from a manufacturing factory where it's getting wasted on the cutting room scraps mm. and then um after sorting it out uh, we tear it down in a linear form and make a linear yarn out of it and that is what we uh, take to the uh, weavers to weave into a new fabric okay that's awesome and uh is is your uh design process kind of like you wait to see what you get and then start or do you usually start working on initial designs before you start sorting so um my what uh, there are two things um there's there's a story like i i would want to tell a story for me every opportunity to design is an opportunity to communicate b to c i i try and tell the story so with that i can sort of um i know like what's happening with the waste i have a general idea that 
I wouldn't be able to find this color or this particular color of paste or this uh, this color palette. So I try and work with like a mixed color, but try and give a refined feel at the end of it. But um, what we generally do do with a collab, the people we collaborate is we give them a, a range of colors. So um, if if somebody is like, I want to work with um, neutrals, so we we we'd have blue colored waste, we'd have brown colored waste, we'd have gray colored waste, black colored waste. Somebody is like, they want to work with pinks and reds, so we'd source waste according to that. Okay. Okay. That's fascinating. And I actually don't think I realized that you mostly did B2B. Um, did you, when did you start moving into the B2C area? Because when I met you at Fashion Week earlier this year, yeah. I was under the impression that it was B2C. Am I incorrect? Uh, so uh, not really, because we I started as a B two C brand. Like I did my first pop up at Anantaya, but uh, in Jaipur. But um, after that pop up, I realized that we have a bigger opportunity in in B two B because um, also like making one system in isolation circular is not really sustainable until and unless you apply that solution at more and more systems then then it becomes a story of sustainability uh, so yeah uh, first we like it was beat like my focus was to like okay i'll make things from the waste that i have and then i'll try but then it became oh i can do more and doing more would actually mean that um all these artisans and they have a income all year long instead of having an income just for a particular season so um that just made more sense to me um so telling a story um uh, is is very like i i because i want to tell a story i tell a story but b2b is more more towards like okay um i have to ensure that artisans have uh worked all year long i have to ensure that uh, the women i've organized in self-help groups um uh, do like have work all year long i have to ensure that this reaches out to as many people as possible and also that we are we are not talking about sustainability or circularity in isolation mm, 100% yeah sorry i'm just taking this all in cuz you're saying a lot of very powerful things right now <laughs> And, you know, I feel like, uh, yeah, of course it makes sense to kind of shift your business model to make it as sustainable as possible for the people, the people that are actually part of, uh, of, of the business. So that makes total, total sense. And um, I know you have about, uh, I think I'd mentioned before, it was uh, 25 craftsmen. And what yes. about the initial team? Um, like, who are you working with on a day-to-day -day basis to do like design, sourcing, all of that stuff? Uh, so, uh, starting out, like, it's just, I'm, like, wearing many hats at that, <laughs> at this point. That's usually like, what happens with a startup, of course. Well, <laughs> yes. like, uh, I'll have, like, friends who would help uh, with, uh, like, who I can um, uh, probably uh, utilize as sounding boards, who, like, I throw my ideas at, and, they, like, it'll come back more refined or, like, well so yeah or like for say a particular photo shoot there'd be a team of photographer art director or um 
in terms of uh, getting the business right, I'd have a lot of um, help from my father who'd like, who'd be like, oh no, this is how you do it. So like, oh. I know that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, like, I'm very lucky that way that like, I have a lot of people I can reach out to, even in terms of professors, mentors, um, and be like, this is a challenge I'm facing right now. And how do I go about this? Uh, but yeah, at the moment, officially, it's just me uh, wearing like different hats at different points of time. I feel you 100%. <laughs> and you know what? It's so beautiful to hear that, you know, having a good community that you can reach out yeah. to when you do need resources, when you do need assistance is, is available to you because I think, and, and that's, I think that one of the biggest that's honestly the biggest asset and uh, the biggest, the, yeah, biggest the most valuable part of being, you know, us doing a startup and launching a startup absolutely. is having. And the experience. other thing is, I feel that it is more so when you're working in circularity, mm. um, uh, that like people uh, who are already within this community, they offer you support. But uh, like I talk to people, my friends who are like in, in mainstream fashion and they say that like, nobody like everything is very hierarchical and mm. like everything is based on a hierarchy and like nobody wants to talk about like their struggles with anybody else and I feel this is very unique to our uh, sort of community of of circularity and sustainability and I feel which is a very big reason why more people should buy into this concept is that you you get a sense of community here 100 percent yeah, people are so much more vulnerable and collaborative Absolutely. when, you know, they realized how important the triple bottom line is for a business. Yeah. And yeah, it's totally unfortunate to hear that, you know, in, main, in the mainstream fashion industry that people are struggling to build that community with other brands. Um, but yeah, again, that, you know, mainstream business is all about competition over collaboration yes. and the social space and people who are, who give a damn about the triple bottom line, <laughs> all about collaboration. So absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, have you, have you been working at all with anyone in mainstream fashion? That's like, you know, a little bit more curious to see what you're up to, or do you like, do you find you're open to chatting with, you know, mainstream fashion brands? Uh, Tell them what you're up to. Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, I would only encourage, I can only uh, applaud people who, or, or rather encourage people who would want to make a shift. Uh, I mean, it's not about like fashion is something I enjoy. It's, 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 um, it's a point of celebration and it shouldn't cost anybody um, their sort of uh, life or even quality of life that, for that matter. Um, I feel like fashion has become tragically cruel to its makers. But if those brands want to step up and want to do uh, slow down their processes and want to engage in a conversation, absolutely, it will be better for everybody in the industry. A hundred percent. Everybody who's listening, if you are looking for someone to chat with, Fabia is your girl. She's here. She's ready to help you convert to sustainability. 
Um, and that's so beautiful and, and so genuine and authentic for like, you know, just for you to be able to provide that uh, to people because I, I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely scary. You know, if you're, if you're running a mainstream uh, business, specifically in the fashion industry and you want to make yeah. the shift, like I do empathize with larger brands who are trying to make the shift because, you know, if you're doing something one certain way for so long to, to, you know, overhaul and completely shift everything in your, in your supply chain is uh overwhelming it's totally i can i can imagine it's so overwhelming and it, it's i mean it's so great to hear that more people are taking small steps but um you know i try to be as empathetic as i can because but there's definitely times where i'm like you're not doing enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but my biggest problem with uh, the bigger fashion brands is that everybody talks about um switching to alternative materials everybody talks about uh, making one uh, circular capsule collection uh, but nobody talks about slowing down their ongoing production mm. uh, yeah. it's it's all like it'll, it'll still happen on the speed that it's happening and uh, nobody's talking about the scale everybody's talking about alternatives yeah that's a very good point actually and I guess that's where this, like, I was just talking to uh, um, Mahima from um, Sui, um, you know, Sui, yeah, uh... yeah, she's, uh, so she's based mostly, like, she's between Delhi and, and Bombay. She's based in yeah. Singapore herself, though. But I was just talking to her about, like, all the buzzwords in the industry. And right. um, I feel like that alone is so overwhelming because there's, like, conscious, sustainable, eco, Absolutely. Absolutely. I never use the word sustainability, by the way, like okay. sustainable fashion. <laughs> yeah, I see you use a lot of zero waste. Or, or zero waste is, like, more of the aim. So it's there to remind me, oh, that's the aim. But, like, yes. I, I use the word circular. But, mm. yes, there are so many terms. And, like, we do, nobody breaks them down. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, they introduced this idea of slow fashion, which I think is kind of oh, what we're going to now. Yeah. But it's kind of like, you know, how do we, you know, just making this education accessible and like yeah. allowing people to absorb what everything means, yeah. even one of the biggest, the biggest hurdles we actually need to overcome because now that, you know, there's bigger brands that have already been in people's lives forever, uh, you know, like H&M and all these yeah. guys who are introducing conscious collections and like, you know, starting to bring these words into their marketing, mm -hmm. it becomes a little confusing because we're like, okay, what exactly does this even mean? How is yeah. this able to do it all of a sudden? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot um but uh yeah okay so circularity is your word okay yeah, because also like what sustainable fashion has come to mean is being defined by these inter like larger brands which mm. to me feels like a lot of greenwashing sometimes mm. so and also like to label what maybe uh environmentally conscious as sustainable fashion um instead of labeling what is not like good for the planet like i would say rather label uh, things that are not good for the planet unsustainable then you might begin to see some change instead of labeling a niche sustainable mm. I like that. So it's kind of like a process of elimination. You know, yeah. that, that could definitely help. Uh -huh. That's actually a really good point. So instead of continuously adding and adding to, you know, what's happening in our wardrobes, <laughs> I'd start like decreasing and, and examining what 
isn't, yes. you know, what shouldn't be in there. I like that. Okay. New tip for everybody. Go into your closet. <laughs> I want you to start making a list of what you think is not sustainable and we'll totally open up the floor. You guys can share it with us on social media. Um, Bavia, how does everyone connect with you if they want to learn more about Itorito? Uh, so uh, you can like I'm available on Instagram iroiro zero waste iro iro zero waste or um, on email on phone anywhere. <laughs> um, I'm all for like connecting with people. Amazing. And for those listening, I'll definitely put all of uh, Bavia Nido Ido's information in the show notes so you guys can access uh, all the social media goodness on what they are up to. And I guess what's a, when can we anticipate Moonwash? Is it already been launched? Yeah, so a Moonwash is uh, in a few of the concept stores. Uh, what we are also planning to do is uh, run, um, it'll be the first repair clinic, but host a repair clinic by Eero Eero. Uh, basically, it'll be a workshop around mending. Um, uh, and it'll be like, I'd be like, in part, like educating people on how to mend their existing clothes, like they get things from their closets and we'd, help them mend that that'll happen in delhi in the first week of december and along with that uh, there'd be a pop-up of moonwash as well and um, we showcase the collection over there amazing amazing unfortunately this episode won't go live until january that's so is there, is there anything you want to share that's happening in january uh, or in so the new year we are also like working on a summer collection right now um and uh the story behind the summer collection is basically um trying to address the relationship between a government and its people mm-hmm. and um the whole theme behind like uh th- this collection would be reclaiming the color saffron because what Ooh. saffron represents is courage and um impartialness whereas what it has come to represent is completely entirely different so yeah i'm like really looking forward to uh getting to that like announcing that getting that 100%. out do you mind sharing with our listeners who are not in india or south asia yeah. um, you know what saffron has become uh, associated with here in india um nationality extreme nationality uh and extreme religious belief which uh like could be uh i see it i don't know i might get in trouble for this saying this but uh which could be seen as a form of terror at at certain points uh sometimes if if there are like uh, a lot of if you see a lot of saffron on the streets i just want to hide in my room at that point of time and not get out of the home yeah there's this extreme nature behind it Uh, i would say uh, equivalent to uh, probably um, the ku klux klan in in america is it yeah yeah so yeah there's that so i mean we all need to uh, and this is the only way i know how i can sort of uh, address it um, but yeah, we need to start addressing what's happening in our country. I, I really love that you're so open to talk about this because, you know, uh, social justice within, you know, fashion is a tricky topic, especially, Absolutely. you know, under the current 
uh, government of India. So it's a little bit tricky to, <laughs> you know, bring in some of those topics and like, yeah, a hundred percent. I think what I'll do is also for other listeners who are not in India and want to learn more, I'll put some links in the show notes as well. So you can learn more about, you know, why Saffron has become this, um, this nationalistic yeah. color and, you know, the, 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 the stereotypes and stigma around it. And, um, I think that's, I think what you're doing is really beautiful, Bavia. So thank you. And like, please let us know how we can support the campaign to the hotter world because, uh, social justice is a huge, uh, a huge motivator for the kids that we're working no, with. So and it's involved. such a beautiful awesome. color. Yes. hundred percent. Um, uh, with, I mean, it's such a, I mean, you, you look at actually what saffron is, is those um, uh, leaves uh, sort of you get from Kesar, basically, that you get from Kashmir for your tea. And, what it has mm. come. and when you read about it, that um, it actually was in the national flag just to um, remind politicians that they have to be impartial at any given moment. And now what it has come to represent, it just blows my mind sometimes. Yes, but you know what? You are addressing it directly by uh, having a collection try and reclaim the color. And I think, uh, like, kudos to you. Like, that's really, really impressive. You're totally, totally inspiring me right now. (laughs) So before we go, like, way over time, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> We're just like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so uh, we are a startup in every sense of the word. Uh, but thank you so much for giving us the space to speak about what we are doing. Absolutely. It is my pleasure to be able to help uh, your story go around across the world. Um, I know I know, we will be chatting again very shortly. And uh, I definitely have to pop over to Jaipur. Like, we are neighbors. I'm in Bikanir. I'm so close to yes, you. Yes, please. <laughs> please. And um, yeah, we'll Any, definitely have anytime. to pop up too on uh, all our social media channels so people can go out yes. and get involved. That's awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful day. And we'll chat soon. You too. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Ha, feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends.